I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up, going left side, watch Calvin, Enzo, got him, oh baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade, no one will catch him, touchdown! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and by Bet Online. So we're mixing up the order a little bit this week. I apologize, but we are actually going to have a guest as of now, at least on Wednesday's show. So we moved the mailbag to Tuesday, which is today's episode. Once again, blown away by the amount of questions that y'all came at me with. You can imagine what some of the themes are. So I'll just hit on the themes right away and then we'll just jump right into questions. Obviously, there's a bunch of chatter about Bob Quinn, about Matt Patricia, about Matthew Stafford, about 10 men on the field, about what basically has gone wrong and, and how can they fix it, if they can fix it, do people want them to fix it. All of these things. So that is going to be the theme of the episode, more or less. We get into some other football stuff as well within the mailbag. But that is what you all care the most about. And frankly, that is not a surprise by any stretch of the imagination. Before we get going, one quick piece of news. Tony McRae goes to injured reserve. Jared Davis now off the COVID-19 reserve list. So the Lions get one of their rotational linebackers back. One of their best special teams players is done for the year. Matt Patricia called it season-ending injured reserve. And frankly, after McCray's injury the other day, that is not surprising in the slightest. So with that said, we're going to jump right into questions here on today's episode. The first one comes from Ryan Guzman, who's at Ryan R. Guzman. He asks, I'm totally serious about this, so don't laugh, but if Matt Patricia is fired, any chance they give Braden Combs a look? Isn't that the trend right now anyway? Young, up-and-coming guys, Lions have to do something drastic and really couldn't be worse, right? Question mark. So... A couple of things here. I don't. I can't tell whether you're asking in season in an interim situation or after the season in a full-time situation. I think after the season in a full-time situation, it might just be a little bit early to give Braden Combs a job. And I say that not because I don't think that there is a lot of potential there. And we'll get into it a bit more. Uh, later on in the podcast because there's a few different questions about him. But the thing is when it comes to him is I just don't think he has 
quite enough experience yet. And I'm not saying he has to go be an offensive coach or a defensive coach because I think special teams coaches actually work out just fine, John Harbaugh, anybody, when it comes to being go, to being a head coach. Because a head coach, more than anything else, which I think people forget, is more about being a CEO than being some dominant play caller on offense or defense. Think of how many times we see a guy who's been – an offensive or defensive play caller that's lauded, and he just falls flat when he becomes a head coach. Ken Wisenhunt, Matt Patricia. The list can go on and on and on and on, where it's more a lot about being a CEO, managing personalities, understanding essentially how to handle a team, how to handle 63 men, a coaching staff, and the diversification of personality and the diverse the diverse backgrounds that those players come from and getting them to form as a cohesive unit. Jim Caldwell was a master at that. There was no question. There were some issues with his in-game, in-game coaching without question, but he was really good at that. So all of that said... I think that you might need Braden to have a little bit more time. But if they let go of Matt Patricia in season, I would absolutely make Braden the interim head coach because then at least you can get a chance to maybe see what he has. Now, if they go on a run, say, just for argument's sake, that the Lions moved on from Matt Patricia after Thanksgiving and they promoted Braden to being the head coach for the last month of the year and Braden won for those final five games against really tough competition, I think you at least have to consider giving him a shot and having that conversation. That is one of the risks of getting rid of a coach in season. But, you know, I I think that's kind of where all of this becomes really interesting because do you want to do that or do you not want to do that? And maybe you'll lose Braden, who's really a good special teams coordinator. And, you know, maybe not give him a, 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 you know, a chance at the head coaching job. But again, I think it's a little bit too early. Now, is he a guy that because he's still under contract with you, I would interview for the job? Yeah, potentially. I would at least give him an interview. Hear what he has to say. Again, if the job comes open. But I have a hard time seeing at this point him being hired as a full-time head coach. But hey, The Giants did it with Joe Judge. John Harbaugh was once a special teams coach. So I think it's not out of the realm of 100% possibility. I just, at this point, would put it as pretty unlikely. The A.J. Hinch Tigers, who's at Detroit Stands, asks, so they really aren't firing Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn yet. He used some other language. No, clearly that's not happening this week. If it's going to happen, one would think it will happen the day after a game. And at this point, as we were talking about before, I'm not sure how much benefit you get by getting rid of Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn now. I just don't think that it will matter all that much because at this point, you're pretty far out of the playoff race. If you're going to want to give the new head coach, whoever it would be on an interim basis, at least a chance. You don't necessarily want to make the move 
on a Monday, you want to have at least a little bit of wiggle room, which is why that Thanksgiving date post Thanksgiving would maybe be an area to look at. And if that happens, then you can kind of make the argument for it. If say they lose two of their next three, if they win two of their next three, I don't know if they're going to pull the plug until after the season, because you're still close to 500. You're maybe going to still be competitive, at least in theory for a playoff berth. So I don't know exactly how that would go. But no, they're not firing them right away. And again, the other thing with this is that by firing them now, it's not like you can go and hire a new head coach right now or hire a new general manager right now unless you're hiring somebody who's not in the NFL at the moment and at least on the coaching level, probably not in college at the moment either. So who does that leave you? You know, Maybe you go talk to a Lewis Riddick or you go talk to – a couple of other guys who are out of the, or maybe in TV right now, or out of the NFL when it comes to general managers. And then as coaches, I mean, who are you going to talk to? Jim Caldwell's out of coaching, but I don't see that happening. Urban Meyer, but that's probably a pipe dream scenario, I would think, at this point, unless he decides he wants to get back in. So there's not a lot of benefit. Just because. Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia are still employed doesn't mean that Sheila Ford Hamp isn't doing some due diligence on who she might be interested in if she decides to make that move. But why do it right now if unless you are absolutely convinced that a change would maybe rally you to get to a playoff berth kind of or rally you really to be competitive in the season, which if you look at what happened in Atlanta, That's kind of, I think, what happened there. If you look at what happened in Houston, I think that's kind of what happened there. But you also had prior head coaches on the staff, which the Lions did not have because they just don't have that experience. Now, if this had happened a year ago and they promoted Paul Pasqualoni, I'm not sure how much good that would do, but at least Paul Pasqualoni has head coaching experience. These guys on the whole do not. So that's part of the problem. Jeremy Friedrichs, who's at Friedrichs JK, asks, I was worried about Patricia's D ever since it got rocked in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. Then Brian Flores takes over and shuts down the Rams the next year. Was Bob Quinn just concerned with getting his friend in the building over X's and O's? Ah, Man, I I don't know the answer to that question. I wouldn't say he was just concerned about getting his friend in the building. I think he wanted to hire the guy that he felt could win and, and could end up taking the Lions to a Super Bowl and be a consistent winner. Clearly that did not happen, but it was pretty clear Bob Quinn was trying to find somebody that he understood that he could easily draft for. They were clearly trying to build something like they had in New England, which I get because New England was super successful, but that's just kind of where where it was. And... I wouldn't say it was necessarily concerned with getting his friend in, although it's pretty clear the two of them wanted to work together uh, for a long time and did work together with the Patriots for a long time. But, yeah, I I don't really don't... I I can't totally answer that as saying, like, that that was the case. But it was very clear from the beginning that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia wanted to work together. And if there was an opening that Bob Quinn would absolutely absolutely talk to Matt Patricia, who was his friend. And as far as I know, still is his friend. 
as they're still working together. Last question, and then we'll hit the break. Colleen Thomas, who's at Colleen Thomas underscore, which team's coaching is worse, the Lions or Michigan? That's a really good question. They both have a ton of flaws right now. I would lean toward the Lions mostly because, at least with Jim Harbaugh, you know that he's done it before. Don Brown, he's done it before. He's been successful before. And with these guys on the Lions, Matt Patricia as a head coach has not been successful before. Daryl Bevel has been successful as an offensive coordinator before. Corey Undlin hasn't been a defensive coordinator in decades uh, and not in the NFL. So this is our first exposure to him as a defensive coordinator. It's not going well. So when you're looking at the coordinator level, to me, it's probably the Lions because I don't necessarily think Jim Harbaugh is a bad coach. I think that it's just not working right now in Ann Arbor. And I think if you're watching Michigan, which to be honest, Colleen, I have not watched a lot of Michigan this year. Colleen and I, by the way, met covering Michigan when she was a student at the Michigan Daily. And I was covering Michigan first for the local paper and then for ESPN. But yeah, I would say the Lions. I feel pretty confident saying the Lions, and I would probably take the Lions 10 out of 10. We'll be back right after this with more on the Mailbag Edition of the Michael Rothstein Show. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, you're online. Sportsbook experts. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Next question comes from Jared Harris, who's at Jared W. Harris. Considering... There should be a head coaching vacancy this offseason with whom from either the college or assistant ranks 
could be a good fit going forward? That's a large question, and I feel like now is the time to mention, as I do every time we talk about coaching changes, how it's just a crappy thing to have to talk about, that you never want to see people lose their jobs, especially in a pandemic. Yes, Matt Patricia and his coaching staff and Bob Quinn and his high end of front office coaching high end of front office staff are well compensated, but there's still families involved here. There's still families that will have to pack up and move. There's spouses and kids that didn't ask for any of this. So I just want you, when you talk about this sort of stuff to just keep that in mind a little bit, keep in mind the empathy factor of all of this, that there's a lot of, hidden things because assistant coaches aren't as well compensated as the head coach. And most of them will also lose their job and have to find something else and have to move. So all of those things are worth kind of thinking about when we're talking about this. All of that said, I mean, my first call would be to David Shaw at Stanford. I think that he's still the guy that you're always reaching out to. My colleague, by the way, Andrea Adelson wrote, an amazing story about David Shaw and his brother um, that ran last week and about bone marrow donation. So I highly encourage if you haven't read that story yet to go and read it. But I would reach out to him. I would obviously see if Eric Bieniemy was interested in the job as he's going to be one of the main hot names that is going to be talked about. I would look at a couple of other coordinators. I would talk to Byron Leftwich. In Tampa Bay, I would just poke around. I would do a wide search cast, a wide net, and be open to any sort of suggestions. I mean, when you're looking at college coaches, Brian Kelly maybe, but that name has been thrown out there a lot. Again, I'm just spitballing on names. Even though it hasn't gone well with Michigan, I think you at least see if Jim Harbaugh would be interested just because you've seen the success that he's had on the NFL level and you know he can turn things around fast if you don't want to, you know, if you're worried about a real tear it down, build it up, rebuild. Like the one thing that Harbaugh's done really well is come in and take what's there and, and turn it into something pretty decent right away. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of different areas you can look. Maybe Mike Kafka in Kansas City. Maybe you call Bill O'Brien if you're worried about, you know, maybe some continuity in message and some continuity when it came to the defense because Bill O'Brien wasn't necessarily a bad head coach by any stretch of the imagination considering what he was able to do in Houston even though it obviously ended poorly. I'm just spitballing names at this point. I think at midseason it's still too early to really know and considering the question that will also be at general manager, I think that that's – even more of an overall what are they going to do than your typical garden variety head coach opening because it's going to be probably a complete regime shift. And if that ends up being the case, if they hire the general manager first, then the general man- who the general manager is could have a large say in who the head coach ends up being. So that's another thing. Obviously, Robert Saleh would be another guy to really look at on a multitude of levels, including he's from Dearborn and he's a really good defensive coach. So that would maybe be another place to look. Like I said, I think there'll be a lot of names and there'll be a lot of time to talk about those names. 
But those are just some that, at least in my mind, maybe you would kick around. Gar, who's at Gar Johnson 1, asks, which first or second year Lions have the potential to become all-pro players? I am really reaching for positive questions to avoid asking about the draft or potential coaches, general managers. I appreciate that. And don't worry, your fellow Lions fans have you covered, particularly with the coach GM scenario. So, yeah, let's jump into this a little bit. Right now, the obvious one from a second-year perspective, even though he's actually in his third year, so wouldn't even go there, is Frank Ragnow. Frank Ragnow is probably the closest of the younger players to really becoming an all-pro type player. I think he's one of the best centers in the NFL already. And, you know, I think he can only continue to grow there. And that's... That's a benefit for the Lions. The Lions should be super pumped about that. That's turning into one of their best overall draft picks. But you look at the last couple of years in the draft for the Lions, frankly, probably the closest one, at least on a Pro Bowl level, might be Travis Fulham, but he's going to do it in Philly if he does it uh, with the year that he's putting on. And realistically, I don't know if he ends up making the Pro Bowl this year. Wide receiver is such a deep position, but... He does have 29 catches for 435 yards, four touchdowns. He's done it in not that many games, in, in only eight games, so or even less than that, sorry. So that's a guy right there that I think, you know, he's really done that, by the way, in five games, more or less. So that's a really good production, but I just don't think it's going to necessarily happen this year. But it could if he keeps rolling, at least on a Pro Bowl level. So I look then at the rest of it. I still think Jeff Okuda has a real chance. I know it's gone rough for him here as a rookie, but everyone expected that. If you didn't expect it to happen, that was a miss on you, frankly. Because if you listen to anybody, even when they took him, it was, hey, listen, this kid's going to potentially be really, really good, but this year is going to be a little bit rough, particularly with no spring, particularly with no preseason, and it's always rough on rookie corners anyway. I think he's shown signs of improvement. The, he's still not reacting fast enough. His instincts still aren't taking over enough. I think that will come in time. I think having a full offseason will help. I think having a full offseason of film study will help. So he's a guy that I think really has a shot down the road a couple of years to be that level of player. The other guy would be Jonah Jackson at guard. I really like what I've seen from him so far. I think he's been very, very strong, especially for a rookie. Again, somebody that should improve. He should also have the benefit, frankly, if they keep him at left guard, whether that's whether Matt Patricia stays or it's a new head coach. He'll benefit from playing between Taylor Decker and Frank Ragnow, two guys who could end up being Pro Bowl players, if not this year, then at some point down the road. And then the last guy, obviously, is TJ Hawkinson. I think what you're seeing from TJ Hawkinson right now in his second year is exactly what you thought you might see from him. He's been very good this year. He Consider this, right? Last year, he played in 12 games. He started 70 at 59 targets. This year, he started all eight games. He's at 49 targets. He already has more catches than he did last year. He's got 34 now. He's almost at his yardage total. 
360 that he hit last year. He's got more than double touchdowns. He's got five touchdowns. He's also catching 69.4% of his passes, where last year he only caught 54.2%. So I think he's learning. I think he's improving. Right now, he's on pace for 720 yards receiving, 10 touchdowns, and 68 catches. That's a pretty good second year for a tight end. Don't think it would get him quite to the Pro Bowl this year, but I think with another year of development and another year of learning, I absolutely can see that happening down the road. And then once kind of maybe the older guard a little bit that, that dominate this position start to you know, get up there in age, he ends up being maybe that next class of really all pro dominant type tight ends. Because don't forget, TJ Hawkinson at the end of the day is really still only 23 years old. And he's got a lot of room to grow and isn't even close to his prime yet. So him, to me, would be probably the closest to being that type of player of all the ones we hit. At Nino Minigi4 asks, How much more can Lions fans take of this? Where the laughing stock of the league? What an absolute embarrassment. So I'll take your question of how much more can they take. You know, it's, it's interesting because every year I talk to Lions fans. Uh, even before I covered the Lions because I was living in Michigan covering Michigan and had a bunch of friends who were Lions fans, who still are Lions fans. And I asked them about it because you just, we've talked about it on prior episodes that why do you keep doing something that doesn't bring you joy? And for so many people, it seems like watching the Lions doesn't bring them joy. It just brings them heartache. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like at this point, if you've taken this much, you're probably in it for the long haul if you're an adult. And at that point, I don't even know. I mean, I think you kind of say, all right, this year is what it is. It's clearly not going well. And you hope for change. And I think that that's what people have been doing. I mean, that's clearly what, Y'all have been telling me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, in these questions, is y'all are, are looking for change. You're looking for hope. And, uh, and we talked about it on a prior episode. I wrote about it a, a couple of weeks ago based off of the Ted Lasso episode. That's It's the hope that kills you. And it's the hope that always kills the Lions fans. But the thing that maybe for about Lions fans that is the most impressive thing to me. If I'm being completely honest, what impresses me the most about Lions fans is their ability to persevere and their ability to every year hope. So, I don't know. I get the sense that they're going to come back again because there's always that hope. There's always that, that thought that maybe this year will be different. Maybe this year will be the year. Just see what happened with the Cubs. Just see what happened with the Red Sox. Just see what happened with the Eagles a few years ago. So maybe that's what it is, based off of talking to other fans. It's it's the hope that maybe one day it will be different. Uh, and, I mean, I grew up watching the Jets, and I'm watching the Jets actually on Monday Night Football now in the background. I grew up watching them. My dad had season tickets for a while, so I went to a lot of games at the old Meadowlands. And I watched him every year, and the Jets were bad then. They were not good. This was like the Rich Kotite years. This was Keyshawn Johnson and Wayne Corbett. And they weren't good. They were not a good football team. But every year, my dad got season tickets for a while, and I it was because he hoped, because 
When he was a kid, they were good. They won a Super Bowl back at Super Bowl three when he was 18, 18 or 19 years old. So, yeah, that's that's where that was, and that's why. So I think that my guess is that Lions fans continue to do it. Maybe they don't watch the rest of this season. Maybe they find other things to do on Sundays. Totally would understand that. But I think they keep coming back because of one thing, because of hope. At Doug McCready, or sorry, at DG McCready, who's Doug McCready, asks, would they make a change midseason? Is there any benefit? I know we talked about this a little bit earlier on the show, but just to dive in a little bit deeper, the only benefit you get right now is if, to me, you think that the team has a chance to make a run. And I think by showing that they haven't made a move yet, that shows me maybe not that they don't think that it, they can make a run, but that they're willing to ride with this regime at least for this year. Because, like we talked about, firing a coach or a general manager midseason, and we've seen them do the general manager thing midseason before, that's right before they hired Bob Quinn, it doesn't do a lot. It just kind of, especially after the trade deadline, if you're a GM, you can't make any trades, you can't move any draft picks. It's not like they're going to cut any major players because they still want to win games, and I would imagine ownership would block any of that if they tried to do something, and and at that point they would just be nefarious. But Bob Quinn, I don't get the sense, would do that because that would completely torpedo his chances of getting another job and I just can't see that happening so at this point having Bob Quinn as the general manager the rest of the season doesn't uh, that's six of one half of the other and I think at that point you just kind of stick with it through the year but when it comes to Matt Patricia the reason you would make a change is if you had a head coach on staff already that can slide right in And theoretically, then you could hire some other staff, but you're not going to be able to do that on a short-term basis in COVID because you're going to be shorthanded for a couple of weeks, and that's not really fair to your players at this point. And the other part of it, too, is do you have somebody who can slip in and it's not that big of a learning curve, and they don't have anyone like that because they don't have a former head coach on their roster, on their coaching roster, that is. So you don't have that. And the third thing is, it's not like they can go hire a new general manager or a new head coach before the end of the season. It's just not going to happen. So there's not a ton of benefit there. And even if Sheila Fordham makes the decision and she knows who she wants to target, like she can literally do that and put in requests Sunday night after the season's over if she lets go of, of those guys then or Monday morning. Like that can all happen. And you can still do all your research and be ready to go. So to me, at this point, there's no point in making a change unless you just really want to see what maybe a coach has and that's maybe where Braden Combs comes in. Or if you're just that worried about the development of players or something extraneous, then I think at that point you do it. I think also the fact that, frankly, there haven't been any fans this year maybe tempers out a little bit because you're not hearing the boos every week. So, to me, that's why I don't think they would maybe make a change midseason. But they could shock me. Lose on Sunday to Washington, and maybe you do it because Washington is really terrible. 
lose two of your next three or, or all three of your next three, maybe they make the move after Thanksgiving. But that to me would be why or when if they did. Zach Payne, who's at Zach Payne with an extra Y. Is Stafford closer to the end of his tenure in Detroit than we realize? Well, it depends on what you realize and what, what you think. If there is a complete regime change, as we've talked about a lot during this podcast, then yeah, I think that it's entirely possible Stafford's maybe closer to the end of his tenure in Detroit. Because if you are embarking on a complete rebuild that, say, is going to take three years. Let's just say that on maybe the conservative slash aggressive side, depending on how much teardown there needs to be. Let's just say that. Well, Matthew Stafford at that point would be, what, 36 years old? He's played a lot of games. He's taken a beating in a lot of those games. Do you want that to be your quarterback when the rest of your team that you're building that's likely going to be a really young roster is starting to hit its peak, hit its stride? Or do you want to have to break in a new quarterback then? Or would you rather have the quarterback kind of like what's happened in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson or what happened in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes? That was maybe a little bit of a difference. Both those situations were a little bit of a different situation. Do you you want to do I mean, look at what happened in Miami with Brian Flores. And Tua. Like that to me is is the perfect situation, which is do you when you're finally starting to hit your prime, have your quarterback want to have your quarterback ready to go? Or if you move on from a quarterback a year or two too late, then do you sit in a situation and be like, Well, now the quarterback's really young and gonna make mistakes around this team that otherwise you've built to succeed. And you don't know if you have your quarterback yet. So to me, I think if there's a regime change, you're probably looking at the closer to the end for Stafford than than not, but maybe the new regime, if there is a new regime, says, you know what, we really like Matthew Stafford. We're going to stick with him and, and build around him. Maybe that happens. I don't know, but it's going to be something that's absolutely worth watching and worth paying attention to because to me, the rest of this regular season and this off season, depending what happens with Matt Patricia and with Bob Quinn, ends up being largely about Matthew Stafford and what happens with him down the road. Like, do we see a Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith type situation or an Eli Manning, Daniel Jones type situation? Like, are those things that maybe we see or do they try to move him right away or do they not bother this year? So many questions, but I think it's reasonable to say that if they have a regime change, it should be left up to the new GM and the new head coach what they want to do at quarterback. Pedro B, who's at Pedro LB8, asks, will Matt Patricia use injuries as an excuse? He can't. Uh, I'm just going to say that right now. He can't. Because last year was your year, if you were Matt Patricia, to, to use that, to pull that card. And generally, you only get those cards once. The change the coordinator card, the injuries card, the this, that, or the other thing card. Generally, you only get those once. In a tenure. Sorry if there was a little bit of a yawn there. And last year they got to use that as their card because of Matthew Stafford's injury. This year I don't think they've had that many injuries compared to other teams around the league. Yes, their secondary has been beat up. Yes, Trey Flowers is now out. But 
yes, Kenny Galladay's had injury problems too, but other than Galladay and Flowers to an extent, although even the way they were using Trey Flowers the last couple of weeks before he got hurt, which makes you wonder now whether he was playing, how hurt he was playing before. But most of those guys, the guys behind them shouldn't be that big of a drop-off. Kenny Galladay, for sure. Trey Flowers, yeah, especially with the lack of defensive end depth on their roster. But I don't know. I just don't buy the, the injury excuse, and I don't think that the Ford family would see would would buy that, and I don't think really anyone would buy that. I think that would be seen through pretty quickly, considering Matthew Stafford's still healthy, and you've been you used it last year, uh, and that was that. Les White, who's at Icon Silk, uh, Icon Silk, sorry, Icon Silk seven thirteen, assuming there will be at least a partial rebuild. Again, assuming a new coaching staff, at least. How difficult will it be to get out of those veteran defensive contracts? Justin Coleman, Desmond Trufant, Jamie Collins, Trey Flowers, that would hamstring a new regime. Last, this is a completely fair question, and we're going to go through it contract by contract here on defense, and we'll throw in a couple of other deals potentially as well. When it comes to Trey Flowers, he will likely be on the roster in 2021, and he should be, frankly, because he's got $10 million of his base fully guaranteed. That was fully guaranteed when he was on the roster the third day of this past year. And the entire base, which is $14.375 million, becomes fully guaranteed on the third day of the 2021 league year. So Trey Flowers will be on the Lions in 2021. 2022 is when they can probably move on from him without any sort of major issue. His dead money would drop from 21.228 million to 5.614 million. So if you really wanted to move on from him there, you could. The only thing that's guaranteed at that point is a roster bonus um, that would be $1.625 million. And then in 2023, there's no guaranteed, there's no dead money left. And that's just kind of where it is. And there's a $2 million roster bonus, but he would have to be on the roster the third day of the league year. So that Trey Flowers 2021 will be on the team. would be shocking if he's not. 2022 is when if you wanted to, you could move on from him. Jamie Collins... His deal, he's probably on the Lions in 2021 as well, unless you're completely blowing it up and wanting to go in a completely different direction because $7 million of his $8.8 million base salary is fully guaranteed in 2021. His debt money is eleven point, basically $11.666 million in 2021. So he's not going anywhere. He'll be part of the team in 2021 as well. If the Lions really wanted to go really cheap and, and really blow it all up, I could see them maybe getting rid of him and eating that massive cap hit. But, I, I mean, you still need players, and I still think he's a productive linebacker, so I just can't see that happening. Again, if there's a regime change. No regime change, that he's not going anywhere. Justin Coleman, his deal, you can get out of it. Right now, there's no guaranteed money. If he's on the roster next year, 
the, on the third day of the new league year, 1.1 million of his base salary, which is 8.95 million, becomes guaranteed. The dead money for next year at the moment is a little over four million dollars. So not something you really want to swallow. But again, if you're in a rebuild, maybe you do that. That said, I don't think you move on from Justin Coleman. I think Justin Coleman has played well. Remember, he was hurt for a lot of the year. If his numbers don't look great, I think Justin Coleman has shown he's a really good slot defender. He's a good leader. I wouldn't move on from Justin Coleman next year. 2022, again, that's where I think you can start asking a little bit more questions. His cap hit, by the way, his cap hit the next two years would both be a, a little over $11 million, so that's a lot. But at some point, you're going to need to pay players as well. So to me, he's probably on this team in 2021 also. And the other player you asked about was Desmond Trufant. So Desmond Trufant, $3.5 million of his base salary is fully guaranteed next year. Everything becomes fully guaranteed, or sorry, another million becomes fully guaranteed on the third league day, third day of next year's league year. So that's a deal that if you got out of it, it's $6 million in dead money if you wanted to. Of those four that you mentioned, he's the one that potentially could make the most sense because if you believe in Amani Awarie and Jeff Okuda as your two starters, I don't know if the Lions want to pay that type of money to a guy who's essentially your fourth corner because Justin Coleman would be your starting nickel. So that, to me, is an area where maybe if you're the Lions... You're making a move. Maybe you try to trade Desmond Trufant in the offseason. Again, if there's a regime change, but even without that, depending on kind of how they view him. And I thought Desmond Trufant played well on Sunday in really his first true, true, like long action. So I'm not ready to give up on Desmond Trufant by any stretch of the imagination yet. And I still think he can be very productive and can definitely live up to the money he was paid in his contract. He's just unfortunately dealt with hamstring issues, which, you know, were prevalent around the league at the beginning of the year. He just happened to have a second one that that was really, really difficult. So those are those four contracts. And it would look like the majority of them will be probably around in 2021 as well. So there are a couple other contracts I wanted to point out. Jesse James, the tight end. The Lions in 2021 have no guaranteed money in Jesse James. 2.858 million dead money if you cut Jesse James. So to me, Jesse James is a guy that this could be his last year with the Lions, considering how they have or frankly have not really used him and the emergence of TJ Hawkinson. And that's pretty expensive potentially with six point. 429 million cap hit in 2021 that to me just you can do better I think for your number two tight end than that especially with Hawkinson on a rookie contract the other contract that I'm sure people are going to ask about is Halapuavati Vitae's contract he signed a five-year deal he's not going anywhere for a while his base salary of nine million is fully guaranteed for next season he would have 14.6 in dead money if they got rid of him. In 2022, the dead money goes down to 4.2 million. So that's a little bit more palatable if you're in the middle of a rebuild and you're just not really liking what Vitae is giving you at that point. So he's got a season and a half where he's definitely going to be with the team as well. And you kind of just see what happens from there. And this is a good reminder that when you're looking at contracts and you hear the big money and the big numbers, 
that the only money that really the only numbers that really matter are the years that are guaranteed and the amount of guaranteed money and how that's spread out because that's the real length of the contract everything else is at least in NFL terms and NFL parlance kind of something you're hoping maybe you'll be able to make but it's the guaranteed money that really matters but good question though Zach McKernan who's at ZM McKernan asks there's no doubt Patricia and Quinn shouldn't be back, but doesn't even matter. Lions have been notoriously cheap and unappealing when it comes to important hires. You see that ever changing. Yeah, I know that you know some people don't understand why I'm so high on Sheila Ford Hamp as a potential owner, and I know that there's been a lot of criticism. I've heard it already on Twitter that I am feeling that way. But what I learned about her when I was working on the story about her over the summer is she knows when she has to make the tough decision, and she's not afraid to to go after the people that matter in varying businesses so that to me should give you a little bit of hope that they're not going to be necessarily cheap or unappealing when it comes to an important hire they do potentially have a quarterback depending on how you know a new gm or new head coach looks at it or they have somebody that they can definitely move potentially for big time assets if they want to do that with stafford they have some really they have some good young pieces depending what they would want to do with Kenny Galladay. They have TJ Hawkinson. You have Taylor Decker, your left tackle, locked up for a while. Trey Flowers, you have locked up as we just talked about for a little while as an edge rusher. You have Romeo Aquara that theoretically you could give a new deal to as he's started to really come on and improve. And man, he's setting himself up for a pretty darn good pay- payday if he ends up hitting the open market. Julian O'Quara has a lot of potential, even though he hasn't been able to show it this year. Jonah Jackson is a guy that you can build around. Again, I mentioned Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnall. Like there are Pete DeAndre Swift. There are pieces on this team, especially offensively, that you can build around that might be attractive to a head coach. So I don't think that it's an unappealing job. Plus, ownership has been has shown they are willing to give a regime time to succeed or fail. So I think that's also something that is appealing and i wouldn't say they're necessarily cheap they've generally gone out and spent money it's not like they're going out and not spending for free agents trey flowers was the biggest defensive end prize on the market when they signed him marvin jones was the biggest wide receiver prize on the market when they signed him back in 2000 and the early 2000s they brought in reggie bush and that was a big name they brought in glover quinn they brought in golden tate all these guys at good money contracts. So I don't, I wouldn't call them cheap when it comes to that. So I don't think that that's necessarily a fair thing. And I would say that I, maybe I don't, I see it changing because I think it already has. And that to me is just kind of where that stands. Freeman, who's at Freeman four, four, nine, three, zero, two, three, eight asks, why haven't the Lions considered Levanta Taylor at corner? He played against better competition in college and is far better than Okuda like, does anybody follow college and pro just as much? Clearly, Lions don't have scouts. I can tell you for a fact the Lions have scouts because I spent a lot of time with their, one of their head scouts earlier this year back at the Senior Bowl, back in the olden times when we could actually see each other in person. So they definitely spent a ton of time scouting, without a doubt. And how can you say they haven't considered Levanta Taylor? Because they might. Because guess what? Levanta Taylor's still in college. He's at Florida State. So... Uh, they might very well consider Levante Taylor when Levante Taylor comes out. 
I don't necessarily think that corner is going to be a massive, massive need for them. But again, it might depend on what the roster construction looks like and who's running the show. But I like largely what I've seen from Amani Owarie, not so much against the Vikings, but largely what I've seen. I think that Jeff Okuda has a lot of potential. We've talked already about Desmond Trufant and that I think that there could be something there and he's a vet. Do you draft a corner maybe this year? Sure. But I think you might have much larger needs than cornerback when it comes to the draft, particularly in a front seven that depending on who is the head coach and who is the general manager might need to be completely rebuilt. A receiver core that right now, considering they haven't given Kenny Galladay an extension, is completely barren other than Quintez Cephas. Got other places you need to rebuild. And oh yeah, there is going to be that quarterback question if there is a regime change. So, you know, I think they'll look at Levante Taylor. They'll certainly do their scouting. There's no doubt, based off of understanding how they scout, that they've scouted everybody. It's just a matter of whether they're making the right calls or not. And that, you know, we'll see. Joe Glenn, who's at JoeG1414. Why does the coaching staff keep having personnel blunders? The Cook 70-yard touchdown there was 10 men on the field. How does that happen? So it's a couple of things. And I asked Corey Undlin about this last week when the Lions had 10 men on the field for two critical plays, and he just called it bad coaching. Said it was bad coaching, plain and simple. So then it happens again, and I think you can say again, bad coaching. But Deron Harmon was asked about it, and Deron Harmon was clearly frustrated by it. Like there were multiple times during his zoom call with reporters on Monday where he said that he was literally going to start counting on every play to make sure they had 11 guys on the field. He got his personal foul after that Dalvin cook 70 yard run where he just said he was incredibly frustrated and you could tell, and you could even tell a couple, I guess it was a day later now feels like a couple days, but you could tell a day later and he was incredibly frustrated. You could just see that frustration in his voice still 24 hours later. And it's an unacceptable situation. It's something that's incredibly frustrating. And you could tell that the players and coaches are frustrated that it is happening. Uh, my understanding is that it's kind of a communication issue. And it has been at least on a couple of them, which was how Corey Unglin explained it. Don't know exactly what it was here on the cook run but just overall just bad it's just bad and and there's no real explanation for it now it's happened before it happened with in the Jim Caldwell era too now most of the time that happened on special teams and not on defense but here it is and it's interesting because in watching this Patriots Jets game in the background I was watching New England's punt returner and it looked like he was actually counting the guys up front in front of him on special teams so clearly there's at least a fail safe there that that New England has I don't know what it is in Detroit whether that's on Harmon who is typically the deep safety to kind of count and make sure everybody is there or if it's on the returners or who that is on to make sure that they've got 11. Offense, usually you can figure that out pretty quick. But on defense and on special teams, maybe not as much, particularly on special teams. And to me, it's somewhat more understandable on special teams because you've got guys who are both offense and on defense kind of shuttling in and out. And sometimes packages change and injuries, etc. 
where on defense it's just not to me as acceptable by any stretch of the imagination. So that to me is how it happened. I think it's communication issues and it's just poor coaching and that it happened two weeks in a row to me shows that even if Matt Patricia put an emphasis on it, like, hey, let's not screw this up. They did screw it up, and against Dalvin Cook, it resulted in really a game-breaking touchdown. We're going to take one more question here, and there's so many more that what we're going to do is we're going to sprinkle some of these questions throughout the rest of the week on different shows. Um, and listen, if you keep bringing good questions every every week like this, we'll end up doing that. We'll have a main mailbag episode, and then we'll kind of sprinkle them in the rest of the way. But that is going to be the strategy for this week. So if you didn't hear your question asked on this episode, then I apologize. But hopefully it'll be on an episode later this week. So the last question comes from Monty White, who's at Tay White one A few weeks ago, we were cheering the offensive lines, run blocking and anointing DeAndre Swift as the next great Lions running back. A few weeks later, can't run at all. Was the earlier play fool's gold or is it due to shuffling of the offensive line and is Vitae officially a bad free agent pick yet. So a couple of things there. Was it fool's gold? No, not necessarily. In that, yeah, maybe. I'm not going to even try and and sugarcoat. Yeah, it was, but they were playing, because they were playing bad defenses. Like they were playing really bad defenses in Jacksonville and in Atlanta. And they played another not great defense in Minnesota, and you saw on Johnson had a good day running the ball. DeAndre Swift had a good day running the ball. Adrian Peterson had a okay day running the ball. So I didn't think that that was the problem, and I didn't think that the offensive line was a major, major issue here on Sunday. I thought they actually held up pretty well, personally. So I don't think that that's an issue. I think they couldn't run against the Colts, And that was a problem, but the Colts have one of the best run defenses in the NFL. Just to give you an idea of what they were doing, and keep in mind, too, some of it is game script dependent and is how the game is going. And frankly, if you're the Lions in the second half when you're down 34-13, you can't run the ball because you're not going to run the ball. If you run the ball, you're probably not going to win the game because you're eating up clock. You need to move the ball a little bit faster. So you're going to do that. But I don't think the run I don't think the run game was a major issue when you look at kind of what the Lions have been doing this year other than against the Colts and you know a little bit against the Falcons because here's what the Lions have done rushing wise. Against the Vikings they had 27 carries for 129 yards and they averaged 4.78 yards per carry. That's not terrible. 13 for 29 against the Colts is very bad. Before The week before that against Atlanta, they actually weren't that great against the run. 21 rushes, 64 yards, 3.05 yards per carry. But against the Jags, obviously very good, 180 yards rushing. 90 yards rushing against the Saints. Again, a different type of game script because they were down. Against the Cardinals, they rushed for 90 yards. They really tried to slow the game down. And Adrian Peterson was very effective in that game. Packers game, similar situation, not running much in the second half, so you only gain 89 yards rushing. Against the Bears, they had 138 yards rushing. So those are not bad numbers. Offensively, their rushing yards per game, 25th in the league at 101.1, is not good. The 4.07 yards per rush is 21st in the league. Not great. But if you're at 4.0 yards per carry, 
I don't know why I'm saying .0, but 4.0 yards per carry, that's not terrible. That's generally a good average to be at. Obviously, you'd like to be at more, but to me, I look at their rushing yards per game on offense, and to me, that is more an issue with them being behind, so them having to abandon the run, which clearly Matt Patricia and Daryl Bevel don't want to do, but them having to abandon the run so some of those statistics don't look quite as good as it's being a poor run game. Really, the only game where they were truly, truly bad running the ball, to me, was against the Colts. Not great against the Falcons, but against the Colts. So I wouldn't say it was fool's gold. I think it's just you're going to play some good run defense. You're going to play some bad run defenses. As far as Vitae, I mean, listen, they wanted him to be their right tackle. There's no question about that. That's where they started him out. He got hurt. Terrell Crosby played well enough that you really couldn't take him off the field, and that's a good thing, by the way, for the Lions because Tyrell Crosby, I think, has played fairly well. And you move Vitae into guard. Vitae's been okay at guard. It's still been a little bit hit and miss for sure, but he's clearly playing hurt. I mean, he's left almost every – it feels like he's either missed games or left almost ga- every game this season with some sort of foot injury. And uh, It seems like it's something that's just kind of there and and been around. He left Sunday's game against Minnesota with a foot injury. So considering they signed him for five years, as we talked about earlier in the show, I'm hesitant to say he's a bad free agent pick because they clearly put in a long-term investment in him. Should he be better? Yes. Should he be more consistent? Yes. Is that a bad thing on Bob Quinn? Yes. But this isn't like the Jesse James signing where they then drafted over him and it just it just hasn't worked at all. I think Vitae has shown in spurts to be pretty good. It just hasn't been there enough because of injuries and just because of inconsistent play. So I lied. We're going to do one more question because I mentioned it at the top, and then we will end the day here. And this question comes from Jacob, who's Jacob underscore A underscore Bauman, and he asks, do I think Braden Combs would have a legitimate shot at head coach if he keeps on this track? Yes, I think at some point in his career, Braden Combs should get a chance. If he continues to be as good as he is, he should end up being an NFL head coach one day. He seems to just have it. Now, whether or not there are quantifiable metrics to determine whether or not a guy is going to be a successful head coach or not, I don't know. Curious about it, but I don't know. But when you look at like the it factor, the the polish, the clearly a coach's son, the gets it with the media, all of that, Braden's got it. Like, from the first time I heard him talk, even at the Senior Bowl in January, you could tell that there was something about him that, like, was pretty slick, was pretty sharp. So I think, yeah, he's got a shot to be a head coach one day, without a doubt. And I think that what you're seeing from this special teams unit is good, largely. Jack Fox has been really good, one of the best punters in the NFL. Matt Prater's obviously had his struggles, and who knows what's going on there, but you look at the coverage units. They blocked three punts in two weeks. 
and they haven't blocked a punt since 2007. Think of how many special teams coaches they've gone through <laughs> since 2007, and now Braden has figured that out. Their punt coverage team has largely been good. Their punt rush, as we just talked about, been very good. Their return teams have been largely good, even if Jamal Agnew hasn't totally broken many yet, and obviously he's injured now. Some of that is a matter of luck as well. But Jamal Agnew has looked pretty good as a returner. All of these things are positive. The main guy, although Tony McRae just went on injured reserve, the main guy he brought in, like his kind of special teams guy from Cincinnati, ended up being a really good signing for the Lions. He was playing exceptionally well on special teams before his injury, and it's a loss for them. They've they've emphasized special teams, but a lot of this is on Braden too, and Braden has shown that he can really coach up a unit and make good decisions. So to me, I think that that's a great sign. As I talked about at the top of the podcast, I think special teams coaches are more like CEOs and offensive or defensive coordinators, are more used to handling an entire roster because they do that with players from offensive and defensive side of the ball, from every position group basically except for quarterback in most instances, unless for whatever reason your quarterback is your holder. And that all to me speaks very high volumes. I've never understood why more special teams coordinators don't get real shots or looks as head coaches. And I mean, I think Braden's a guy that at some point, I don't know if it's going to be at the end of this season. I don't know if it's going to be in Detroit, but at some point one would think that he's going to eventually be on a short list or at least start getting interviews to be a head coach one day. If he continues on his current trajectory, I said it. You you can probably dig it. I think I tweeted about it at some point. I know Dave Burkett, who works for the Free Press, I I remember there was one day after one press conference, he tweeted it as I was actually texting him that same thought. So I'm not the only one who thinks it, but there's potential there. And like I said, he's a name to keep in mind for the future, whether that's in Detroit or elsewhere, as a guy who could be a head coach one day. want to thank all of you for listening to the show Appreciate you with all of your questions. Like I said, we're going to get to some more of your questions every day the rest of the week on the podcast, usually probably at the tail end of the pod, although I might slip one or two in with tomorrow's guest as long as that pans out, and hopefully it should. Otherwise, we might just knock them all out tomorrow. But want to thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael, Roths- at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And if you'd be so kind, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure you download you subscribe. That helps a lot. I really would appreciate it if you do that. And with that, we will chat with you tomorrow.